millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, before we get the show started, I wanted to let you know we are giving away a bunch of brand new black magic gear. Yeah, cameras, switchers, DaVinci Resolve licenses, a bunch of awesome stuff. So stay tuned to learn how you can enter to win free gear from Black Magic, and we're going to tell you all about it later on in this episode. Now cue the music. Hey, welcome to Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, storytelling, and directing. I'm Matt Enlow. And I'm Warren Kaplan, and today we are going to be talking to Tim Nakashi, a guest we had on episode four or five. He's a music video director that's worked with OK Go, Jason Derulo, a bunch of pop stars, Maroon 5. He's also been directing a lot of commercials lately, and we're going to talk to him about how he gets the job. Like, what does he tell people to hire him? And that usually comes down to treatments. So we'll talk about treatments for music videos, for commercials. I'm working on a treatment for a movie. Matt has helped me out with some treatments. He's listened to a lot of treatments. So today, the episode is really all about how we sell ourselves to get work through writing. It's another great one. But first, Oren, what have you been working on lately? Well, I've been working on a lot of the same, but I didn't want to tell you a funny story, which is the other day on Saturday, I went to buy some propane for my grill, my portable grill. I needed like one of those little propane tanks. And I went to Vaughn's, the supermarket here, and they did not have it. So then I was like, oh, I'll slip over to Home Depot, which is a lot farther and on the way there, I realized I was out of gas. So I stopped at AM, at Arco, you know, a gas station that has like an AMPM store. So I was filling up my gas and I was like, oh, you know what? I bet AMPM might have propane. I don't know. They have a little store there. So I go inside, ask the woman, do you guys have any propane tanks? She's like, yeah. I said, do you have the small ones? She's like, yeah, but I have to wait for my coworker 10 minutes. He'll come back. He'll take you there. Whatever. I wait for the guy. He takes me there. And they end up not having the big propane tanks. So I'm like, whatever. I'm just going to go to Home Depot. I get in my car. And I start driving, and guess what I did not do? I don't know. What is the worst thing to not do before you start driving at a gas station? Take the pump out of your car? Yep. Oh, no. (laughs) I drove off with the gas hose. And did it tear off, or what happened? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Did you keep going, and did you, like... (laughs) No, no. It was pretty loud uh, when it happened. So I got uh, some woman like yelled at me and I was like, what's that woman yelling at me for? And then I realized a millisecond later. So I got out, went outside. I saw the hose connected to my car and not the gas pump. So I picked it up and I brought it into the gas station. And uh, to make a really long story short, the guy was like, well, there's a couple ways we can deal with this. And I was like, deal with what? And he's like, well, with the fact that you just tore the hose off (laughs) our gas pump. And I was like, okay, what are they? And he said, well, you can either have your insurance pay for it, we can go through your insurance, or you can just pay us cash. It's like, okay, how much cash? And he's like, hold on, let me call someone. He calls this guy, 
Ali, Ali's like gets on the phone with me. He's like, uh, it's going to be $80. I was like, hmm. In my mind, of course, I was thinking it's not that much, but I was like, $80. Okay. And I just give you cash. And he's like, yeah. And I was like, and will you give me a receipt? He's like, no, I mean, I'm just going to give $80 to the guy that fixes it. So no, it's just like a cash thing. And then I was like, is this, do you mind if I Google this real quick and see what I should be doing? And the guy's like, no, go for it. So I Googled it. Half the people that I found online said that they just drove off and nothing ever happened. (laughs) The other half said, you know, that they paid like $600 or $300. It was like all over the place. Mm -hmm. And I asked the guy, I was like, well, a lot of people say they just drove off. What if I would have just driven off? And he's like, we got cameras here. It's happened many times here before. We reported as a hit and run and your insurance Mm -hmm. would pay for it. So anyway, I don't know if I got scammed or not, but right when I gave him the cash, which he didn't even let me use like a credit card or anything. I had to go to an ATM to give him cash. But um, I was like, just so you know, this whole thing feels really sketchy to me to just give you cash for this um, with like no receipt or anything. But I'm going to give it to you because you're being very nice to me. And I'm trusting that you're a good person that is well-intentioned and doing the right thing. And if I'm getting scammed here, then it's on you. Okay? I was the good person that brought this gas hose in. And he was like, okay, brother. And I was like, okay. And I left. So. Yeah, $80 sounds like a steal to me. <laughs> right? I was. I mean, I, their gas pump is out of commission. I thought, like, maybe he just, like, reconnects it, like, right after I leave. But I drove no, past there, like, no an hour way. later, and yeah. it was not reconnected. Yeah, I don't think that they just let Joe Blow, like, snap the hose back on when it's pumping gasoline around a it bunch of It did finish pumping, but vehicles. yeah. You know, you know what I mean. You know, yeah. it's pretty flammable and stuff. Anyway, if you're listening to this and this happens to you in the future... Just now you're armed with one story of a potential outcome, which is not that bad. So that's my week so far. (laughs) Well, I I had a funny little experience on a job I was doing just recently uh, that I thought would be worthwhile to bring up. So, you know, whenever you're getting notes and there's like a couple different uh, people who are all responsible and responding, you're kind of waiting for somebody. Sometimes there's a producer basically who will collate all of the different thoughts from all of the different parties and then kind of distill that down into one thing. And that's kind of the the checklist that you have to go off of when you're trying to enact on people's notes. And that's a super helpful thing. It's, you know, it's great because you don't want to have to be dealing with 16 different emails from everybody and you don't know who to listen to and what if they contradict, blah, blah, blah. So I got one of these emails just recently and uh, I realized that they had forwarded me the email instead of creating a new thread. Has this ever happened to you, Oren? They forwarded you a notes email. A notes email. And so inevitably... So you saw the entire discussion. I see discussion. The, entire, the entire discussion. And, um, you know, I think typically you're worried. Like, oh boy, they're going to be like, Madden was a director I wish we could fire or something like that. That's the worst case scenario that you're imagining. And the opposite was totally true. Not that they were complimenting me, but um, all of the notes were really thoughtful and smart and articulate and really great and actually... I kind of found myself wishing that I had the whole backstory of all of the other notes that I'd received because it really helped inform this next round of revisions and it was the happiest that they'd been. It was like, and I think the moral of the story is that sometimes in an effort to distill things down or to keep things concise, people want to just tell you, you know, cut this thing out or, or we don't like this or we like that. And if you don't have the, a context of what people mean by that is sometimes you end up undoing work that 
people really like, or you just, you can't problem solve the way you'd like to, right? So, you know, they say remove this thing, but you don't know why they want it removed. And so you just kind of have to do that wholesale rather than making an informed decision about what they're ultimately going for. Right. You're talking about in the edit specifically. In the edit specifically. But I think it's kind of true for almost everything. You know, if you're ever receiving notes and you don't have the context for why people are asking for what they're asking for, uh, that can lead to trouble. Yeah. I mean, notes, you know, we've, we've talked about them so many times and it's, I just think there's no right way to do or better way to do them. There's just hoping that people trust you mm-hmm. and that they're well-intentioned, you know? Yeah, I, I, I mean, always they're, com- they're always well-intentioned, right? Yeah, I guess they're always well-intentioned. Not that they're well-intentioned, that they want to make a good product more than they want to finish this job, mm. <laughs> um, you know, which are the two things that kind of come to, come at odds. And a lot of times I just kind of want to finish the job sure. <laughs> myself. Yeah. Um, so I'll just cut that thing without worrying about it because I'm over it. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, notes, man. It's like... I get upset when I get them, and I get upset when I don't get them. <laughs> I guess I'm just an upset person. Cool. Well, I think uh, Tim has some interesting notes on treatments. Okay, here's Tim. So we are sitting here with Tim Nakashi again, who's a guest we've had on before. If you remember, he is a director. He started out by editing. He met someone uh, from OK Go. He worked on some of their videos behind the scenes editing. And they then, pulled me off the street, yep. And then uh, you saw one of them at a Pinkberry, I believe. That was a key, key uh, move. And then That, that dates you too, right? Then <laughs> yeah, who goes to Pinkberry? When Pinkberry, it's kind of true. <laughs> and then uh, he said, hey, you should pitch us something. You pitched him something like a week later and then shot a music video, directed a music video for OK Go yep. a week after that, and got the- signed by a... <laughs> RSA. I mean, kind of almost, not literally a week, but it was pretty crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it was It was a week later. And then was it literally a week later? Yeah. Well, I remember he was like Pinkberry, and then it was pitch. Sure. And then, yeah, we were like testing at the end of that week. Okay. Maybe it was two weeks because then there was a week in between. Yeah. And then, and then yeah. Then you got signed, and your first pitch was from Maroon 5 music video, which you got. Yeah, that has all been downhill since it's then. Been down, I mean, I'm never going to top it. So <laughs> thanks for having me. It was great talking to you. And uh, yeah. um, Cool. Well, and every we... time I hear that story, I can't believe it. Which it's part? Just how quick it all happened. Like yeah. it, It's so fast and so incredible. It's like a, it's a fairy tale that like it's almost bad to hear because then you think you realize that it's possible. But can I tell you that it's kind of a fairy tale, but also kind of like it, to me, it's also a story of like how easy it can be because 99 out of 100 people would say like, oh, I can't get a pitch done this week, you know? Yes, but I, I kind of agree with Matt, though, because it's like, you know, I literally met, ran into him at a Pinkberry and it like kind of changed the course of my career. You were prepared, though. You were ready. No, did. but he did. Like, <laughs> you know, after I did he- sort of have an idea in my head. And it's true, I didn't know how I was going to do the effect. So I pitched it and then had to figure it out. So sure, I thought a lot and stressed a lot about it. But doesn't it fill you with dismay to think, like, I could have not been at that Pinkberry? See, I believe you would have just fallen in in with someone else, you know? Like you would have met. Because I don't know, right? I guess I have the opposite thing going on right now, which is I'm... Oh, optimism. 
Yes. Cool. <laughs> um, which is I'm trying to, I have, I have this idea for a movie. I've had it for a long time. I've developed it. I've written like all these notes about it. And I mentioned it to my manager and he's like, oh, cool. Write it up. Send it to me. I'll, let me see if I can get something going with it. And I like practically <laughs> like had a heart attack. Oh my gosh. And this was like three weeks ago. And I'm still like the last two days have just been trying to write something that's really good. Wait, and, I'm sorry. I, so I, w- I want to hear though. What? So you're having a heart attack about what? About having to deliver an idea to someone. Right. Because you, you pitched an idea and you said it was incredible and they're going to be so excited, and but you hadn't really kind of thought it all through. Yeah. It's like, I mean, I don't know. I think it's like every movie idea. Like I have a really, a premise and characters I'm really excited about. I have no idea what happens in act two. Totally. I think maybe what Tim is getting at is that that's your Pinkberry moment. Yes. And you'll figure it out. Exactly. Well, that's what you're saying too. I mean, I, I guess we're saying true. the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm saying yeah. Tim figured it out like that week, and I'm like dragging my feet. <laughs> and so that what, what was I'm a music is, video. This you got a whole feature to write. Yeah, yeah. You're I mean, it, it's <laughs> it's harder. Good but, luck. Um, I also what had are you this doing thing, doing this podcast, man? You're wasting time. Has this? Yeah. I'm sure this has happened to our listeners. But have you ever like today when I was working on my treatment for this hmm. movie, I was like trying to find cool visuals, and I was like looking around YouTube and stuff, and I pretty much found. This short film that was released March 22nd, which is like two weeks ago. Oh, my God. That's like almost exactly like the short film I would shoot to try to pitch my movie. Wow. It's like mine's about these brothers with these super powers, you know, that are like they're it's genetically inherited through it's like over the generations. A, a very small number of people have this genetic, you know, deviation that I gives like them these, these powers. Right. Um, and in this short film, it's like 4% of the world has special mutations. Oh, God. Sure, um, but that's true for all superpowers, right? Yeah. Yeah, and then they the showed every key, single... Yeah. So. I mean, look, I know that everyone has... There's only, like, so many powers, but, like, my three characters, one of them has, like, this very low-grade telekinesis. Like, he can lift, like, up to five pounds within, like, five feet from himself. Oh, cool. I like cruddy uh, yeah, I like low-grade yeah. well, telekinesis. These, well, over the generation... It's <laughs> yeah. a recessive gene, and if you, like, intermarry and stuff, things get watered down, so... And then one of them has like, you know, like a fire heat type power, but, you know, he's not in control of it at all. Like if he's, it just is exactly matched to his mood Hmm. and he's like a very angry guy. For my story as a a character thing, it's important that he's not really able to be in contact with a lot of people because if he's has, he can burn them. Right. He feels the burn. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, Oh, so he's physically hot. It's not. Yeah. He's almost. He's not throwing fireballs. Yeah. Yeah. He's getting hot. Oh, hmm. I see. Anyway, and the third brother, he can like glamour people, like in True Blood. He can charm people, hmm. um, just with his his voice has like pheromone qualities to it. Hmm. But uh, it works better on old ladies than anyone else. Anyway, so I saw this trail, this video today. It was a Kickstarter. It was this ten minute yeah. video about these guys that have like telekinesis, <laughs> firepower, and strength, and they live in like L.A. and they're working and it was as called day the laborers. Fantastic Four. Hmm. No, it was like done like kind of like a grounded version in L.A., like kind yeah, of yeah. gritty. I'm teasing horn. you, though, because the point is, is that, like, is that every, every it's super, okay. It, that, yeah, that, that's the trope. That's, that's the form. But I, I hear you because I had that experience. I, I made a narrative short that I haven't released yet. I'm still getting some visual effects done. And it's about two people it's whose dreams. in the uh, jungle. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, about, uh, it's about two people whose dreams are intersecting and they, they don't know each other. And there's like some mystery to it, and but yeah, I saw a trailer for something that looked kind of like a whack version of mine, but 
but so many of the points were the same that I definitely, you know, was sweating by the end of the trailer. But, but you know, their tra- their film's already done and mine hasn't come out yet. So hopefully everyone will have forgotten about right. it before yeah. it comes out. Well, do you think it would be weird? Because I actually downloaded that short film I saw today to pull some frames from it for nice. my treatment. Is that, is <laughs> totally that too not much? weird? <laughs> really? Because it's like the exact same. I don't know. It's not like competing. Yeah, I I think it's A-OK. You know, it's funny. Somebody asked me about this just the other day, like, because, you know, I'm in development mode. I'm pitching around. I'm taking all these meetings. Mm. And he was like, oh, like, are you ever worried about uh, similarities between a premise or a concept that you're pitching and and stuff that that's out there in the world? Because actually, we were talking to a friend, uh, this producer friend of mine, who was telling me this great pitch for a movie and, and literally it was the exact same pitch as another friend of mine. Oh my I, God. Like to the point where I was like, wait, 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 is this this person's? And so I don't sweat it at all because, you know, fortunately, like I can bring it up to, you know, enough people that like if it is identical to something, someone's going to tell me. But like, honestly, for the most part, it's all about what you do with a concept and yeah. so when you bring it to market and like you're pitching it around, it, you're the part of the equation that no one else has. I always wanted to make this like like short term time travel movie. Like I like like take a sci fi concept and make it as crappy as possible. So like, cool. what if you would time travel like back like five minutes, right? And then that movie Primer came out. I'm like, ah, I guess, I guess I was going to say like Primer. And That's then also I was like, Science of Sleep. Then I was like, yeah. I, I want to do that. Yeah. And then like this movie Time Crimes came out. My friends like, you should check it out. I was like, ah, oh, that's kind of the same. Wait, the, is it the Spanish one from uh, Mexico? It's French? Is it Spanish? It's, a, yeah. it's the guy with Foreign, the... Yeah, yeah, the bandage on the Oh, side. boy. You guys, that movie is incredible. Have you oh, seen that movie? Yeah, it was on Netflix. It's, it's unbelievable. Oh, cool. Time crimes. Yeah, yeah. I totally... It's about this guy that I just keeps going back in time, but just not, not that long, just like very short term. It, it's kind of like a weird farce, and I remember I had huh. a friend come over while, while I was watching it, she was like, are you okay? And I was like, <laughs> no, I saw this incredible movie and I'm freaking out about wow. it. And you're the only person I could talk to about it because you're awesome. the person who just came over. Yeah, it's incredible. Okay, that movie's cool. And it's good. But anyway, yeah. then like Looper came out. Then all these. Then I'm like, every time, time I decide travel. to not make a movie, someone makes that movie. So I should just, you know, You got to just make your movie because yeah. it's going to come out a year later and, no, and someone might, you know, one out of a hundred people are going to say, oh yeah, I also liked Looper and Time Crimes, but. I yeah. still enjoyed this. Y- I mean, yeah, not- yeah. Most people think of that as a sales point. Like, true. Like, oh, it's similar to Looper. That movie made a ton of money. Great. Let's do it. But mm-hmm. don't you try to, like today I, I was like kind of trying to figure out the third act and it ended up, what I wrote, I realized later was like very similar to Chronicle. Mm. You know that movie? And I'm like, hmm. You mean there was an awesome battle at the end? Well, in Chronicle. I'm just giving you a hard time. I'm sorry. <laughs> no. Oh, right. Chronicle is like about three friends that have superpowers, and then one of them goes nuts basically in the middle of the movie. Huh. And the end is like a battle between the friends. And I, like, I really wanted my three brother story. Like, I think you would expect them to kind of all band together and fight some bad guy at the end, but I'd rather have them fight each other and. Yeah, that's have some, cool. Have someone die. That sounds totally different because it's brothers, so it's going to have brotherly yeah. themes. 
Does two of I mean, them are cousins in Chronicle? Does that matter? No, no. It, no, it doesn't matter at all. And cousins. Al- also, like I think that I'd fight any of my cousins <laughs> right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And win. Um, no, I I think that you're very self conscious about it because you know exactly what cultural references you're pulling and and where it's all coming from. But that's true for all art, you know. And I think that the things that feel so obvious and apparent because they really affected you, that's not apparent to an audience because they've got their own set of circumstances. And so like, yeah, sure. You're cribbing or you're influenced by or whatever. Like as long as you ground it in true, um, like in emotional truth, uh, that's, that's all that's going to matter. It's going to be refiltered through everything else that you've, but I saw a movie with emotional truth right. in it. Like, this week, I just think you need to yeah you know, stay away from emotional truth. Emotional truth is just, yeah. it's, everything's so grounded and it's authentic. Like, yeah. Since we're, <laughs> I'm kind of hijacking this episode to basically ask you guys questions to help me because I'm going to give someone sure. this treatment tomorrow. But oh, really? Yeah. Tomorrow? And yes, tomorrow. I promised him the end of the week last week, and then he said on Friday, "Do you have it?" And I said, "I absolutely guarantee you'll have it by next Friday." Oh I apologize. God. Here's a quick tangent, though. I would never send an important document on a Friday. Mm. I would send it on a Monday because he's not. He's like he's out to lunch. It's four pages, mostly visuals. Mm. And he emailed me today, and he said, "Am I still going to get it tomorrow?" Oh, and I said yes. Well, good on him. That, that's yeah. pretty good. And he was yeah. like, "Tell me when and where." And I was like, "I don't know where you will be when you read the email that I send you, but uh, sometime tomorrow." What did he mean by when and where? Are you meeting? I guess I wrote, do you want to meet or can I just email it to you? He's like, whatever you want. I don't know. This is my manager. He's like excited. Oh, you should meet. Yeah. Always better to meet. Always should meet. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. And then like you get some FaceTime. He can ask follow-up questions. You've thought it through and you know, you're going to feel the vibes of his questions and like, you'll know whether he's leading you or skeptical of something. True. You know, he doesn't really know. It's not like he makes movies. He just reps you. But mm-hmm. uh, it's a good. He's good an ally, sounding you know? board for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he's, uh, you know, he's an anonymous content, and they have this new push to try to develop something because they, you know, Mr. Robot and uh, The Revenant are their movies. And I think, oh, I didn't realize they made those movies. Yeah, they're the production company, but those are kind of like their senior guys. Now I think the rest of the company is like, whoa, we got to start. <laughs> yeah, yo, like, this is where the money's like at. Like we are yeah. at, at right. this time where we actually have an opportunity where people will listen to our ideas and stuff and they're looking for content. So I think they're kind of not starving for it, but they're doing, you know, they're talking to Andrew and all these other people where they're like, give us ideas. Let's shoot pilots, let's present presentations. Let's, Amazing. Let's do stuff. So I think it's a good time. And I hope I can follow in Tim's shoes and capitalize on, on this opportunity. Um, but anyway, just to ground this conversation for our listeners for a second, I apologize because Script Notes did a very similar episode a couple of weeks ago, but I think as directors, we approach treatments a little differently than a writer would. Hmm. So mm-hmm. you get, obviously, Tim, you've told us you've written over 500 treatments. Did I claim that number? I definitely, it's been a few hundred for sure. Um, yeah. I think you claim that you were a writer because you had written so many treatments. Yeah, I'll take that. Yeah. And then, you know, Matt, obviously we've been talking about treatments a lot lately. So I guess for me, I would use a treatment to either pitch myself to direct a commercial, to direct a music video, or if I have my own idea for a project mm-hmm. and I I would want to tell people like, hey, this is the movie that I want to make, or this is the TV show. Oh, the TV show I'm pitching, we also have a treatment, which is my treatment has some graphics and some text explaining who the characters are, what the premise is, 
what the episodes look like or the themes are. Mm-hmm. Am I covering everything? Or is there any yeah. other reason you'd use a treatment? I, you know, everything. I think, I, yeah, I, I think it's your first blueprint. It's, um, it's your way of reminding people of what you pitched in the room. And I think, uh, I think that they actually do talk about, uh, on script notes, but I want to wholeheartedly reinforce it is the tool that a person who has taken a pitch is going to use to refresh themselves and also just to forward around to the rest of the company. Oh, yeah, you, mm-hmm. So you've been pitched to a lot. Did you get a lot of treatments? I, yeah, I, I got, not only was I pitched to a lot, but I taught pitching to interns a bunch, which was hmm. the best in terms of like really synthesizing what was important to me as an audience member and like how to really heighten um, that experience for everyone. Mm. I think the, the the core principle that I tried to teach people and the thing that I try to remember whenever I'm writing one of these documents is that it's still storytelling. You know, every time someone's reading this document, they're probably reading it for the first time and they're getting exposed to the world and the story and the characters just like an audience would be. So I think doling things out in like a, a proper like three act structure, even though it's not really designed that way is part of it. So I always talk about like, you know, giving yourself a log line and tone up top, just so people get oriented in the and world. What do you mean when, by tone? Uh, when, so when I say tone, I mean like um, understanding the way the short or film or web series or whatever it is you're pitching, what that, what that feels like. Right. So like, like a comparison. Yeah. Sometimes I'll do a log line. Like that's a, that's a quick and dirty way to do it. And, and I would say when I was teaching people to pitch, you know, you would get things like, you know, you would always hear like, Oh, it's this meets that. And I think that's great, but I think it's even better if you say the, comedic sensibility of this with the visual style of that, like clarifying a little bit, you know, so you would hear like the office was brought up all the time when we were taking pitches or I'm sure or it's always sunny or like probably broad city now or South park or w- whatever it was. But like the difference between the comedic sensibility of it's always sunny or the, the nihilistic characters of it's always sunny versus the camera work of it's always sunny. Like those are all very distinct different parts of a, a show, right? So I would kind of set that up up top. I would say, okay, it's got this sort of comedic styling, this sort of voice, this sort of feel, right? Just so that you know as a reader, how how am I reading these characters? What does this world feel like to me? How am I framing it? You know what I mean? Is it Airplane or is it Die Hard 2? You know, those are both airport airplane movies, right? So once you get that, right, that's kind of your act one, give us, give yourself some sort of inciting incident, right? So that's your premise. And that should really kind of inherently have the inciting. So the log line is different than a premise? Um, Yeah. Yeah. So the log line is, is kind of like the, the very concise setup of what, what your idea is, right? And then your premise, you can go ahead and outline things a little bit more thoroughly, so, um, so I guess I'm trying to think of a thing that I can use that I die hard. Sure. Okay. So <laughs> die hard. Yeah. So die hard in, in this way of, of pitching it, I would say that die hard is for my log line, you know, an action adventure that takes place in, in a hostage situation in a build, building. That's the crappy version. Right? right. And then my premise, I would go ahead and spell that out. So. John McClane's a down on his luck cop who's visiting his wife from LA. He's a New York cop visiting his wife in LA. They're all at his wife's workplace together and terrorists take over. That's your inciting incident, right? So then 
after that, then you can go into McLean and his wife and Hans Gruber and all those people, characters. all your characters. But as you're doing that, you're also doling out pieces of plot. So when you're talking about McLean, you know, maybe the, like you're talking about how they're relating to each other. And then also maybe at the end, like, oh, well, he loses his shoes or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, like so. So as of the reader you're hooked, you're interested in the story as the treatment is unfolding. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then now if you're ch- pitching a, your own movie show web series, would you ever refer to actors or use pictures of actors when you're... Existing actors? Yeah. yeah you know, um, the Tom Lennon, Ben Grant book, they, they use mm-hmm. the word think. Like, so right. maybe you don't, you, you don't get Bruce Willis for your pitch. But you can say, think Bruce Willis. And then immediately people imagine John McClane. Okay. And then after that premise. Or, or type. You could say a, a Bruce Willis type. <laughs> okay. After that premise, you go into your characters. Mm-hmm. And after your characters, you go into the story. Yeah. I mean, I think you can, it kind of gets a little trickier there. I think you, uh, typically I'm pitching more serialized things. So I'll go into your episode episode. ideas pilot episode or season arc depending on how it's kind of feeling and what story beats i've managed to weave into the character descriptions Um, and they're not huge story beats but like inevitably when you're saying how these characters relate to each other and the things that they want and the things that are keeping them from getting what they want right which are all kind of the elements of story inevitably that just kind of all connects the dots for a reader Mm -hmm. and so when you guys are writing treatments like how much of like your own voice are you trying to put in the writing like how much is it like are you trying to be clear where you're like it's a family action adventure story versus it's a fucking yeah mess Mm -hmm. of a ride across the country (laughs) you know i actually go heavy on the voice in my writing yeah yeah i i because i my experience has been in writing, which I've done a lot of music video treatment, so frankly, it's a slightly different animal. But where I try to pitch, dole out the story or whatever transpires over, sort of painting the the picture and the strokes as if they are watching it, sort of you know second by second, scene by scene, but as if they're in the room with me, and mm-hmm. I'm pitching it to them and casually and kind of trying to add a little bit of and we're getting to know each other too i I, frankly i think it works i think it helps people feel like they know who's behind this and Mm -hmm. what the voice is and the only difference is in music video land you're 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 selling it a bit more heavily i feel you're you're kind of telling people something is cool while you're telling them what it is which feels lame but it's what you do but i think it I think what's nice about pitching music videos is you're allowed to say like, yeah, this is going to be freaking cool, freaking awesome and freaking mm-hmm. cool. And then in film, you are trying to find other words to say that, you know, like, well, yeah, that's like true. I think. We're always selling cool, uh, cool things or emotional connections or we're always trying to say this is going to be really good. Yeah. But with music videos, I feel like you're allowed to just say like, this is going to like blow your mind. Yes <laughs> and no, because there's there's the problem of sounding like a salesman. And then there's also the challenge because you 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 want to a filmmaker is somebody who has restraint, right? And mm-hmm. that's kind of something you get too. It's it's not all did I pull all the levers from frame one? It's you know there's something else, right? And so there's there is kind of an art some somewhere in there to as to how to like make yourself sound principled and 
at the same time say, but it's going to be fucking awesome. Sure. You know, yeah. Right. But and I, I and think, you're trying to not sound like everyone else, too. And you're trying not to sound like hard. anyone else. Yeah. I, I think that some of it also comes down to, I think, voice in a document, I think, is really valuable for, as a sales tool or just as a, even just as a blueprint for yourself. Right? Because they, we're all playing a different role every time you're writing one of those whether you're real cool music video guy or real sexy music video guy or real artsy music video guy. Those are all different versions of Tim Nakashi, and we've seen those on your reel, right? <laughs> yep, you know sexy, what I mean? Awesome, sexy, yeah. cool, awesome. You've seen it. <laughs> They're, you know, powerful. Um, but, but there's a difference between saying something is going to be cool mm-hmm. and saying it in a cool way. Oh, I think that's true. Right. But I and I also think when I I was trying to express it like you know I'll dole out the what transpires as if I'm pitching it in the room. There's a little bit of like just lowering the stakes a little bit and sounding like somebody who's trying to get the point across in a couple of words, not overly overdoing it, sort of relating a little bit. Like those these are other parts of the art I think of a treatment. Mm-hmm. It's not all kind of. Like you're speaking to the headmaster at the school or the, you know, the principal. It's, you know, I, I think there's, you kind of have to present like a bit of confidence and like a little bit of, I feel even like casualness in there mm-hmm. again, because it kind of lowers the stakes and sort of reminds them, oh, there's just a person and they're telling me this amazing story. You know, it's wow. What a right. combination of experiences here. You know, can you think off the top of your head, of like an example of like something you would say that comes off casual in writing? And like in a treatment, like, do you say stuff like, you, you know, we, we all dream of, of like jumping five. off a building and being able to yeah. fly. Like, how cool would it be mm-hmm. if we like bring the band to life and show them how to fly? Right. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, so right. That's a great question. Right. Like, like literally asking the question. Right. Don't yeah. you guys agree? Yeah. I think that's a good example. Yeah. And, and how cool as opposed to how, yeah. how visually impacting, you know, or just. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, how cool would it be is a better way, or is maybe probably in tone or in voice with the thing you're trying to sell. It'd be like saying, we've all seen Die Hard, but have we seen Die Hard on Mars or whatever? And that's already more casual, but quicker and interesting and sounds different. I don't know. I don't know, because I I feel like I try to write like that, and then it looks like I'm trying to write like that. And then, uh, have you ever used italics in a document like that? Oh yeah, I yeah. bold italicize. Yeah. I use. Do you guys use semicolons? No, no. no I will oh, use a colon, no. but no. God, semicolons. Ugh. I mean, I think the the ultimate lesson, though, whenever you're creating a document uh-huh. to like sell to people or to just convey what you're trying to do, don't lean on any convention too hard. Right. So, so if you fill your document with semicolons and ellipses that's going to lose its potency just mm-hmm. like the same way you would casual language or bolding or italicizing mm-hmm. and also just like think about the the thing that you're trying to make and use every tool in your toolbox to convey that tone and style and vibe yeah i think that's true i my i think i experience what you're kind of expressing which is there's this like oh, i just gotta get on the page it's gonna come out awkward this is gonna sound like a scientific this is gonna sound clinical and but i meant for it to sound fun and then but you get it on the page you just like crawl out of the ocean onto the shore you're like oh, take this a fucking idea please and but it's good to do that the day before or if you can at least a few hours before and then come back to it just you know step away, come back to it, take a deep breath, 
and kind of I just sort of write this like final version of it where it's like just the everything is easy my life is effortless pass where it just you know sounds easy and I feel like sort of lifts it a little bit. I, you know, I'll sort of usually go back and realize like, wow, I'm really over overly mm-hmm. describing sort of how I'm going to accomplish something and I'm making it sound like work when I was really just trying to paint a world for these people, you know? And Yeah. Does that make sense? I, I think yeah. also people don't read and it's hard. It's really hard to understand that. Right. And it's maybe depressing in one way, but if you know that's the truth, it's maybe not so bad, Right. It's funny to me, Orin, that like you're stressing on this a little bit because you're a person I know is very good at talking passionately mm. about an idea and uh, and a, a, a pure visualist. So like those are the two things that I think you know people lack when they're when they're in the room, right? Like if you have good visual references and you're excited about pitching something, to me that's pretty. That's most of it. So going off that, it makes me think, um, you know, we all kind of like in the back of our minds, we know our audience and maybe you just kind of know, what, do you know something that you're, that makes you afraid? Something. No, I mean, I guess I'm trying to, I I very much think about what Matt just said, which is that people don't read. So I'm trying to be as succinct as, and quick as possible. So instead of saying like, you know, uh, this is a story about three brothers um, that absolutely can't stand each other they're in the same room they don't even want to look at each other or talk to each other is there a semicolon in there no but but instead of saying all that i just said three estranged brothers because i felt like that said all that right in three words instead of in 20 words and i'm trying to put as few words on the page but i don't feel like that's how i would talk i would never say Three estranged brothers. I don't know if three estranged brothers says everything that you said in the other one about being in the yeah. same room. And, and, all and I think there's a flow to it and there's details to it. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's one thing to be like, oh, three brothers who don't like each other. That's not as powerful as three brothers who don't like each other. They can't even look each other in the eye. They can't even be right. in the same room. They hate each other. Right. Like there's a heightening to that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. But then there's, but that's like just such a small part of the story that I'm like, I don't know if I should waste so much real estate in the treatment on gotcha. describing these brothers because now I'm going to have a whole page of characters and talk about the characters. And so I don't know. To me, that's the hard part. Is the I, there's no lack of information. It's just how what to me. It, like I think always the worst treatments and the worst pitches and the worst scripts are the ones that are trying to accomplish so much. You know, for sure. And so for me, it's like what are the three most important things? You know, uh, just well, e- even good. you go back to the treatment. It's like. You know, the to me, it's like the premise, the characters, and the tone, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if if I could only choose three things, like those would be that, and I want to nail those things. Well, I think that's good. I I think you're disciplined. You're that's this is what we're hearing. You know, you're you're trying to be disciplined about real estate on the page, and I think, and I think the the art of treatment writing involves kind of triggering and signaling to the reader that you're disciplined early on, mm-hmm. and then being disciplined or not by the end and just getting your point across, you know, to me, like if you wrote three estranged brothers, period, and then you wrote hate each other, period, really period, or just like found some way of sounding like, Oh my God, this person's really going to be brief with these sentences (laughs) by the end. You could write whatever the hell you wanted, I feel, and give yourself the leeway to just get this thing done and be happy with it. And as opposed to 
really sort of technically yeah making every sentence perfect with that i don't know right. there's a theatricality to it too that again so. kind of like sets up maybe the world a little bit you know and i think there's something fun there and and so do you tim when you would write your music video treatments did you use different voice a different voice depending on type of every like a pop video versus a rap video versus a robotic tech driven video yeah definitely yeah i do find that you know you're sent this music you're aware of the artist and you kind of get invested in them the same way you would your main character. You know, you're like, their career has been like this. It'd be nice if they showed this. And I've been thinking about this idea that's like that. And somehow those, that the knowledge and the emotional investment kind of informs, you know, how you're saying it and what you're saying. So you're, if you're saying it's, it's time for us to show a new side of Usher or whatever, right, you know, right. then... Yeah, I do find somehow it's influenced, but I, I don't go too wild with that. Like, I don't like to use the word vibe in a treatment or sure. dope. Uh, it's very <laughs> tempting. You just did a treatment for Jason Derulo and Pentatonix, right? Yeah. For And you got the, the job. I did, yeah. What was what kind of stuff did you say in there? Like, how was that treatment? You know, okay, so basically, yeah, in that case, I was sort of engaging the Jason Derulo's aspect in one way as this featured artist in pentatonics are basically youtube sensation that um i frankly don't like their music videos that they've already made and so i basically said yes we're gonna show like a darker more mysterious side of you because i felt like all of their work is so brightly lit and so overly focused on is the person singing on screen at the moment looking directly at you and singing you know they're like they're it's hyper. very very youtube in that way it's so yeah. youtube and what's the problem with it being youtube it's just really for me overly self-conscious and self-aware and just selfie and, and formulaic too right like it, formulaic like yeah. you could use that description for like a plenty of youtube sensations and there's I nothing agree. wrong with that but as a person who wants to do something different like you're just looking for another way to yeah. express their visual identity I, I don't think there's anything wrong with it i i that's true but i do think there's something wrong with like <laughs> i do think that I, I love the idea of self-broadcasting in youtube and stuff but there is kind of it seems a requirement of that the ego really just kind of be right on the sleeve and which makes for a lot of like hammy aesthetic so i have actually kind of thought about it a lot i was like why do i have so much of a problem with like what i see on youtube and I do think it's incredibly hammy and it's not that cool. Yeah. I have thought about, uh, you know, what makes something youtube a lot also. Mm. And I, I, we might have talked about this on the podcast before, but to me it's like, you know, YouTube kind of favors people that are insanely clear and fast and giving you exactly what they want to give you. And right. so there's no real, like, subtext in YouTube, right? Exactly. Um, and it's, it's like, like audience services... <laughs> yeah <laughs> so yeah but i think talking about how people on youtube even when uh, a big youtuber make is an actor and they make a short film it's kind of about them first and about their characters second you mm -hmm. know totally and it, it is that self-awareness that I, you pointed out that makes so much sense well so mm -hmm. i i think that part of it is that when people are watching youtube they're looking for a different sort of experience than if they're going to the movies for instance mm -hmm. right and i think that that's to the point of they're having a personal relationship with the totally. entertainer it's right access so whether they're singing or whether they're acting or whether they're vlogging it's about 
my relationship with the person that I'm watching, right? Mm-hmm. So, and that that's interesting that it sort of informs the way they approach a music video or yeah. or yeah. a short film. So, so, but so, Tim, when you're pitching, right, you're typically pitching to a specific artist, whether that's a YouTuber mm-hmm. or a pop star or whomever. Mm-hmm. How does that inform the way in which you approach the whole project? Does that make sense? It does yeah. make sense. I mean, it's a good question, but I mean, basically. I'm like, you got, okay, I'll make a distinction here, which riffing on what we're talking about, which is when it comes to YouTube and the internet in general and sort of new technologies, as in anything that's not movies and TV, it's basically about access. And I do, because I agree with you there. I think it's about connectivity. That's super exciting, but it's not about transportation, transporting Mm -hmm. somebody, which is what movies are about. And I think the three of us are sitting here tonight talking because we're into transporting and transportation and like... Uh, it's not really about do I feel like I have this kind Am of I best friends with Luke Skywalker and my best friends with Luke Skywalker. It's more like, well, what did happen and where did it take us and what blew my mind? And so basically I, the point being that I want to make movies. So I kind of try to write treatments that allow me to make stuff that make, that let people know I can make movies mm. or let me explore movies and the toys that make movies. So I sort of, 60 to 70% don't really waver from that Mm -hmm. and try to make cool stuff that, yeah, is in that world. And then a little bit of dialing in specifically. I mean, it's always about what's the song about? What's, what haven't they done? Mm -hmm. And for me, I've been lucky enough to kind of do a lot of visual concept kind of music videos. So usually when they're you know, emailing me about stuff. It's like, we want to do something different, you know, (laughs) arty or they're coming to you because they know what you do and they're asking you to do more of that. Yeah. They want me to not um, necessarily show the band performing in the straight way. And so that's kind of a lucky development. Thanks to Pinkberry and (laughs) OKGo. Right. And so how important for both of you guys when you're writing treatments are visuals? Oh yeah. Very important. Yeah. I, 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 um, don't use them actually is that true yeah i only that's great right yeah you know i'm envious well you know i think it kind of speaks to what you do versus what i do right like mine's a lot of like jokes or like feelings you know what i mean (laughs) right Um, you're not trying to tell people what the lighting is going to be like too and all that stuff right yeah I, i get to that stuff eventually but i i don't I think it's actually a self-conscious thing where I don't feel great about pulling visual references that early. That's you know? cool. I got to do those more yeah, often. See, I feel like I use it as a crutch. I'll find an image that I like. I mean, my problem is, and a lot of the problem with this treatment I'm working on now is I haven't really quite found the right images. And then that I just get problem. stuck, you know? Yeah. And I'm yeah. like, well, I could take some photographs and Photoshop some stuff or find some people. And then they start looking for stuff on YouTube and then I start watching hours and hours of YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And That's you tough. end up in that rabbit hole where you're like, well, this is close to what I want, but not exactly. And yeah. they don't understand yeah. that it's not. Like exactly. you have no idea how hard it is to find a picture of a station wagon going down a, a desert road with an explosion in the background. Yeah. Yeah. Even if you're down Which to I like needed that Photoshop photo like all three times. elements. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but they need to be from the same angle yeah, and yeah. the same lighting. And yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's tough. I mean, I try if I can't find images that represent like the scenes and the shots, I just kind of try to assemble images in a way that's signaling. Like I like the inspiration here loosely. Mm-hmm. Don't, I'm not trying to represent the shots. 
So you'll take multiple images and do that as opposed to taking one image and saying, here's an image. But you, I mean, it's so rare that you want to nail, you found the image that you want to do, for me at least. Yeah, I guess just in treatments, I'm always like afraid. I used to put like 10 images on a page and then Blake, who we all know, was like, check out these freaking amazing treatments. They have one image, one really good image per page. Mm -hmm. And then I've been trying to kind of push myself more in that direction. But then I have, then that one image becomes so important. Yes. But it does look nicer. It does. Yeah. I mean, I wonder if maybe instead of looking for the literal image of like, if it's a story about someone who drives a station wagon into the desert as it explodes, maybe you split the difference and you get a great looking desert shot. Yeah. And talk about the explosion in like. Right. You know. I'm, so the picture I was looking for is as it dri- it's driving away after it's blown up a house. Mm-hmm. Um, but to me, if I don't have the car and the people in there, or at least it imply people, then the desert means something so different than like mm-hmm. two people driving in a crappy station wagon through Definitely. the desert. Um, yeah, but I would just be like, okay, Thelma and Louise, Breaking Bad, for lack of a better word. You know, I just kind yeah. of like pull four. Yeah, like I have, just, I have like, the like Thelma and pull yeah. in there. But again, it's like on the cover image, I want one image. Yeah. I think I just put a grenade or something. <laughs> you um, can do it. Yeah, but I do hear you. That's That's a tricky one. But yeah, I mean, I just did, I mean, are we talking commercial treatments? I just did a commercial treatment and uh, it was something I was like, I really want to get this. And I was mentioning it earlier. And the, but basically it's like 27 pages. And Your treatment is 27 pages? Yeah. For a commercial. How long? 30 seconds? It's 60. Okay. And uh, Okay. That makes sense. But they gave me the boards, the storyboards. Right. There are 15 panels. Whoa, 15 panels for a 60-second spot? That's crazy. I know. Some One or two of the panels is like, that's like four panels in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I basically was like, I want to get this project because I wanted to, it's it's a project that would take me to Singapore and pay sure. okay. Yeah, yeah it's, it's good money. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so you're, you're not like super passionate about the 60-second product? From <laughs> no, it's true. Yeah, exactly. No, I don't. Is it a product that you we have here in America? It's Heineken. Oh, cool. Okay, cool. Yeah. I mean, it'd be cool. So a beer spot's pretty cool to shoot. A beer spot's cool. In Singapore, yeah. Yeah. And so basically, I, I, you know, commercial treatment writing is actually new to me. Mm -hmm. And it's confusing because unlike music videos where you're given virtually nothing to go off of or your own concept where you're kind of coming out of, you know, your own inspiration, I was sent the boards, the Mm -hmm. storyboards for the project. Right. And for me, the reaction initially is always like this kind of, angsty confusion were about like well, what's my they, role here yeah they're they like drawn they were drawn with oh. descriptions below with so with camera angles chosen already camera angles chosen already sort oh, yeah, of yeah. i mean basically even an edit like it could be an, an edit yeah i mean as far as i'm concerned it's the edit I, yeah. I, what am i going to make up an extra scene in your heineken commercial like yeah. so but sometimes that is good to do so i basically decided i was going to take the approach of a page a panel for at least part of it and I'm going to just kind of, I heard Ridley Scott does this thing where he basically imagines before directing a movie, he imagines directing every scene before directing that scene. Mm. Like he'll spend, you know, a month before he'll spend like a, a day just kind of like, okay, it's time for me to shoot that close up now. And this will probably come up and I'll say that. And like he literally goes into it. So I decided I'm going to kind of do that on the page with these panels and well, I got the project. I mean, they told yeah. me, they literally, 
to me, it almost felt to look like I was, I'm going to overkill this times six and then, you know, casting and locations and all the other things you write about. But they told me, you know, once, yes, your, your, your treatments being sent to the client and just to let you know, there's no other treatments being sent. They just said goodbye to the others because their your treatment was so good and they're so excited. Wait, so but, so how much writing do you, like can you give us an example of what you would say about one panel? Uh it'd be like okay, well you know so I didn't kind of restate so it was like a wide shot of the four as they call them protagonists move, walking towards uh, the end of an alleyway where there's a, a Heineken sign lighting up a door. And so I I just said our first shot's got to be moving We're, we cut right into it, you know. Uh, we get a little sense of character uh, and some shafts of light indicate kind of the the visual just like some visual stuff mm-hmm. that's going to happen later so i'm like foreshadowing and and but the heineken side is front and center this will be a great shot on steady cam moving and you know it's this, gonna look dope and it's gonna look dope yeah <laughs> but that's so, kind of a little bit of what you're saying though right yeah you're definitely he, selling rather, them a, about how dope their idea is he, here's the ways in which it will make something look dope oh absolutely dope and so you on did that line. 15 times yeah and uh you know i spent two days writing the treatment and and did you put visual references or just their panels i've yeah i put a lot of visual references and you know i, I literally a page on cinematography and lighting i decided to go cinematography and lighting and then a page on production design and um style or something and do you talk about your crew in this no do you get to choose your dp i will yeah i mean but it'll be choices sent from singapore oh so you can't bring a dp so well speaking of dps we talked about this a little bit off off camera off mic oh yeah (laughs) so now you you got this commercial and you're flying to singapore and they're sending you a few dps how do you choose which dp good question because i did have this experience before where i i've shot now and Prague and Warsaw and every time like I, d- I do think there are like a couple things that I find myself looking for and and one is it's really about distinctions like okay have they done a job like this and does it seem like they liked it and they invested themselves in it and you know is there magical realism in here and how did they handle that are they a, a dark person lighting wise or a light person and do they do the milky thing that everyone loves or do they do something you know, heavy. So you're you're doing all those distinctions, and then and this is all just based on their reel. Based on their reel, I think there's like a thing you you kind of well, this has been to be fair. This has all been for commercial stuff. So there's this kind of uh, over engineered thing that happens in commercials where money is being spent on a level that's actually rivals or tops Hollywood films a lot of the time, mm-hmm. or there's like you know an over overly focused element like a Heineken bottle or something where you can tell they put half their budget into how this was handled and Mm -hmm. the way the liquid's flowing around the bottle or something. So you kind of have to decide whether you're paying attention to that extra shit or not. And if that's important to your project, but I do, but all that aside, I do look at stuff for music videos and commercials and even film stuff and try to sort of imagine how many lights were used Mm -hmm. and, and how they were used. And so as a way of thinking, getting an idea of how this, DP thinks about what's important and how to light it. And, you know, in some cases you really do have a sense that they, they're kind of painting with light and they're thinking about it that way. They, they know that backlighting is always better than light on skin. And and there's a reason why for them, or they're a beauty person and they, they never lose track of the fact that she or he has to look great, but 
they also seem to be able to focus on the rest of it and make the shot look cinematic or something. Um, and I don't know. Are you ever interviewing these, these GPs or is it purely just based off their reel? Well, I do. I have found that every time I have happened to have chosen the person and then got on the phone with them and usually you're being sent people that are going to be agreeable and excited to do your project. So sure. it hasn't been like a, yeah, an interview it's process. It's never been an issue. But yeah. I, Cause I yeah. think it's funny when you say like, Oh, you're describing like, Oh, can they do this? Can they do that? I feel like if you ever asked them, they'd be like, well, I'd love to, but I yeah. haven't been able to shoot it that way yet. You right. Know? Um, well, which is true for directors, of course, as well. That's true. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I DPs, mean, composers, directors, they'll all say that they can do everything. Yeah. Right? I mean, I think maybe I find myself getting like a little bit more excited when I'm interacting with a DP who they kind of seem like they have like a principle or some principles that they they want to push into this project. And maybe it's that they kind of believe in only using one light per scene. Mm-hmm. And or the camera always stays on a tripod or we're going to use lenses from the 40s or, you know, sometimes that in music video land, you can just say snap your fingers and say yes, because why not? And but when it comes to yeah other stuff, you sort of want it to feel motivated as to why it's there. But I do find that those people are the most just personally invested and you can see it in their work that it's it goes beyond how many lights will I use or do I do this type of shot or that type of shot or do I have contacts for the lenses or whatever? It's this other extra level, you know, that's nice to kind of bring in. Yeah. I actually get like really excited when people I'm working with have theories or rules like that. Sure. You know, Matt Barber, who we had on the podcast, he's an editor also, as well as a director. And he's like a huge, huge, huge fan of Walter Murch's like six rules on why you make a cut. And he, you know, even though we all read his book about that, like years and years ago, he still like uses it every day um, and brings it up. And like, it's something that now I'm working on this show and I like bring it up to the editors, you know, if they're like, oh, we didn't use that take because the continuity is off. I'll be like, continuity, that's (laughs) reason number six to make a cut. I do. I do hate when they bring up continuity. Number one is emotion. Yeah, right. (laughs) Um, That's great. So yeah, when a DP... Yeah, it's like I've worked with the DPs before when I did like more grip and electric stuff. Then they'd be like, you always set a cider on this type of light or something. And it's mm-hmm. like, it, it's cool. It's like they, they care about yeah. stuff. I love having a specific philosophy for each project. And not hmm. that's not always possible, you know, or called for. But uh, I think when you have a set of rules and an intentionality to a project, that's how you add style, really. Oh, definitely. You know? It's the best way. So mm-hmm. That's all mm-hmm. I have to say about that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, I find myself looking at DPs and I'm in a pinch, you know, back against a wall. It's like, do they know how to light? And, or is it, are they really just good with natural light? And then everything else feels like they're on a stage. And, or do you want that? You know, it's. And do you care about camera movement at all? Or do you just assume everyone can kind of do whatever you need? No, I might have said yes that anybody can do anything, but now I really do see some people get into camera movement as as a POV thing, and they just do that well. Or others are about something that looks like Stanley Kubrick made it. You know that where they're about this sort of cinematic movement, and you kind of have to make your choices based off that. I, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I think like you know those Jean Genet films like Amelie and stuff like when they do these like very precise camera movements 
I've worked with DPs where I, I like want to do those same things, or like mm-hmm. those Wes Anderson shots. Right. And I'm like, yeah, let's just track from here to here. And they start, and the camera's like slightly pan left. And I'm like, why is it pan left? They're like, well, because you know the sidewalk ended here, so we didn't have room for more track. And I'm like, well, yeah, it's like, well, just yeah. not the same shot, yeah. but we're out of time, so I guess this is what we're gonna <laughs> yeah, do. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Yeah. So it doesn't. And then you know the editor's like, yeah, and we cut into this shot, which was this like beautiful one or a tracking shot because it wasn't actually that beautiful because you know the dp didn't really want to go out of their way to do kind of exactly what i say and that sounds kind of horrible but that's like that style that you're talking about matt it's like well you know you kind of ruin the shot so i think camera movement and then and then there's of course handheld camera movement where i have worked with dps that are also operators that just don't frame things the way i I would frame them. And then I've worked with DPs that like are really, really good at handheld and find frames and, and, you know, movement in an interesting way. Though I don't think that's nearly as hard to find as someone that really makes lights things in a way that's interesting. Yeah. I think sometimes, uh, you know, picking a, a DP in particular, but a production designer and even like what producers or editors you're working with, it's all to me about what the project calls for that I'm not good at. Yeah, right. You know, so it's like some sometimes I know that like this edit is going to be kind of all over, over the place. It's documentary style. We're going to find the story thread. No problem. Like, let's just find a guy who's like reality oriented. Hmm. Whereas sometimes I know that like I'm not going to stick to my guns and use that one or unless someone's there to like back me up on it, you know. Uh, and DP certainly like filling in the blanks of like, camera movement's a, a weak spot for me sometimes you know especially if it's not handheld like you know i don't get to shoot with a dolly as much as i'd like sometimes you mm-hmm. know stuff like that you know i'm always trying to think about yeah i mean it's a funny thing like a really good dp can can make a piece of work that makes you not think about the cinematography at all and that is that's a strange thing but it's true that you know some of the best work is work that makes you you're not does not make you aware that you're watching a film and yeah so as a director there's probably an art to choosing people who don't make you feel like you have to think every (laughs) yeah sure think of everything that they're doing that's amazing i remember one time on shitty boyfriends actually i was shooting with a dp who i basically grew up with like we went to college together like we shot a million things together and um there was a thing where we were shooting handheld. It was the only handheld scene of the whole series. And um, we were bouncing back and forth. It was like late at night. Everyone was just totally tired. And he was at monitor and I was in the room because it was a super emotional scene and other people were operating, which was pretty rare. And we I call cut. And then I run over and make an adjustment real quick to one of the operators. And he shouts to me, hey, did you make that change? And I said, yep, and then called action. And uh, we were totally in sync. That was exactly Amazing. what we were both talking about. And it killed at direct at the video village. Yeah. Like, the producers And the change like, was to not make sure the boom mic doesn't come into the, the frame. <laughs> it, it was right? a focus adjustment. It was, oh, okay. No, no, no. Something, <laughs> something a little bit better than that. But yeah. <laughs> but, you know, the, like that sort of... Uh, relationship is a thing i think filmmakers are always looking for when they're collaborating with people oh yeah tim do you have like people that you kind of have built that sort of relationship with oh for sure yeah i mean basically because i'm doing a lot of music videos i do find that 
usually they're you're awarded the the project like sort of last minute mm-hmm. so and it's not like the biggest sometimes they're not that big so there's this kind of short term short stakes right. thing so that you're turning that over relatively quickly too so you, you, quickly. you're meeting more people yeah i mean basically with short notice people aren't available so mm-hmm. i've wound up kind of having three mm-hmm. dps that i kind of cycle through but consistently lately and the same is true with almost the entire crew i mean I use the same colorist i use a couple of different production designers a couple of different stylists yeah and uh, editors it's kind of all over the place but sometimes i edit but uh yeah it's weird i i, I know some people who've just worked with the same dp for the last you know 20 things they've done and mm-hmm. i'm envious of that i just you know haven't been able to do that do you ever get nervous that like maybe it's them not you like the the Tim Nakashi magic is like actually just the the culmination of the crew. No, I'm not nervous of that fact. I'm sure of that fact. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, really. I mean, I think I get to kind of you know set a, a cool tone mm-hmm. and usually get to sort of throw a couple of wild cards in there. But yeah, at a certain point, it's hopefully everyone feels inspired to like kind of show up and do this thing and the job of the director becomes inspiring mm-hmm. uh, people not touching anything. Hopefully. Yeah. Just, just hearts, just hearts, just hearts. Um, so just to, <laughs> just to finish up our conversation, uh, you know, last time you were here, I mean, you're still doing a lot of commercials and music videos, but you've done a little bit of web stuff too. And you just, you just did some stuff with lonely Island, right? Yeah, it did. How was that project? Was that crazy? It was funny. I mean, basically it was, making a, a piece that was about how they were featured on GQ magazine on the cover. So, but turning it into something more, more than what it was, which is sort of a glorified behind the scenes piece. And uh, it was fun to work with everybody, but it was set up poorly. I mean, basically by no one's fault, but perhaps their really defensive manager who it's her job to be defensive. I liked her. It's, it's nothing against her, but basically they, uh, they didn't really want to spend a lot of time being interviewed. And that was sort of the assignment. So I never interviewed them. Oh, you didn't, I did not the whole day. I'm just sort of giving ideas for shots and kind of hanging out. And, uh, so you never did a video, like any interaction with them? <laughs> not really. I, I mean, I kind of like got them to say a few things one time. It was definitely not an interview. And I, they they kept on telling me we're gonna put your interview here we're gonna do it there we're gonna okay can you guys sit up over here I, we set up three different times and they were like not here can you do you mind moving I'm so sorry and then I'm like yeah just to let you know this is going in a way that makes me think we're not gonna get the interview uh, and to remind you I I'm not showing up here for my own personal interests like you guys hired me to be here so let's get that interview when you want to do it like I and then did you say that yeah. And then I said even later, I said it with a smile on my face. Sure. Because right. everybody knows we're all just here kind of whatever. Yeah. It's just a dumb thing. But it's also really exciting and, you know, at the same time, sort of a simultaneous, like, you know, excitement tinged with complete lack of interest. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, so it never happened. But they, we made a cool piece because it we just kind of created a fake narrative on top of it with a fake, uh, like, voice that tells the story and it, it's turned out pretty funny actually oh that's cool. um, maybe in, in a way better because we don't have talking heads yeah sure you kind of you're forced to be more you're forced to be more creative than you would have been yeah if you just 
to have like Andy Serenberg make a couple jokes. About exactly. And we're production. not locked into, oh, he only said this joke and that joke. We got to guess yeah. we got to use the other one. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, thanks for talking with us. Um, cool. I don't know if you remember from last time, but we do these unpaid endorsements. Unpaid endorsements. All right. So for my unpaid endorsement, guys, do you guys ever read uh, McSweeney's Internet Tendency? No. So like, so McSweeney's is like that, uh, barrier, like publishing conglomerate, right? Mm -hmm. Artsy fartsy. So Dave Eggers started this company, blah, blah, blah. So their blog of like funny humor writing is pretty great overall. Um, but there's a recurring column called listicles for people exactly like you. And it's by this writer whose name is Rufy Thorpe. She's a novelist. She's really great. Um, But so the column, Listicles for People Exactly Like You, they're titled things like, 10 signs your name is James and you are teaching English at a fancy boarding school. Right. And then (laughs) it's, it's, or or, uh, eight signs, Mark Strom from math class is way into you. Nine problems, only Dave the programmer understands. But so like, that's a really super funny conceit. And, but then on top of that, uh, each of those nine signs or 10 things or whatever she's enumerated is a little tiny vignette of this very specific person's life. And so it kind of evolves into this thing, you know, they're, they're, they're short, but it's a little, uh, kind of like bittersweet character piece in each of these things. And I think that they're, uh, really touching and they're fast, really well thought great little pieces. So I totally recommend Listicles for People Exactly Like You by Rufy Thorpe on uh, the McSweeney's Internet Tendency. Sounds great. Cool. I'll definitely check it out. I will check it out also. So uh, you can tell how much I'm stretching with my endorsements because every week it's like, what did I just think of right now? But um, uh, Hanging out with your baby is really great. Yeah. I'm going to give like a quick guide to hacking Wi-Fi connections. <laughs> oh, that's pretty good. Uh, I was at a my local coffee shop and the Wi-Fi wasn't working. And if you're at a place and the Wi-Fi is kind of spotty or going in and out or you keep getting bumped off or you manage to connect, but then when you get, try to go to a web page, it says like internet not available. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is what I always try. It'll only work like 5% of the time, but if you're at a place where it's not secure, like a small coffee shop, it'll almost definitely work. You try to connect to any Wi-Fi you can connect to. And then in your browser, you type in 192 dot one six eight dot zero dot one that's always the address for the local router mm-hmm. hmm. and then most routers by default the username is admin and the password is all lowercase password admin is also all lowercase and once oh. you're in you can see what all the settings are for the local area networks like all the you know a lot of times people have guest networks or five sure. gigahertz networks you can see what all the passwords are and if you feel like you're stuck and you're at this, what happened to me is I went to this coffee shop. I was like, I'm going to write for three hours. And of course, the Internet wasn't working. I couldn't like find any images. So I just did that and I got in and I was like, should I go tell the owner of this place that his base station isn't secure? And then I decided not to Amazing. because if I go back, uh, <laughs> yeah. there's this thing like a lot of coffee shops, they'll buy like these, you know, kind of cheap Wi-Fi base stations. And a yeah. lot of them have a limit of how many people can be connected at once, like uh. 10 if there's 15 people trying to use it, like whoever's like connection lost signal gets bumped off and the next person gets bumped on. So you can you can mess with those parameters. So uh, we'll put it on our blog, but 192.168.0.1. 
you're a real life Mr. Robot. It's a, or an, a much more that's advanced that version about, right? for how to hack into <laughs> I love that. into the airplane Wi-Fi, which is also not that hard, uh, depending on your airline. But we'll talk about that next time. That that's is awesome. easily my favorite of your endorsements. Oh, that's incredible. Well, it is a good one. <laughs> Hacking. I uh, I guess I was just going to mention this book I've been reading that is called What We Know So Far by Robert Scodelero, which is basically page and half page long stories. It's called microfiction, microfiction and micro stories. So it's pretty much like a portrait of somebody, but I've just really enjoyed them because when I try to read at night, when I get in bed, usually my eyes are closed after like two pages, unfortunately. So that's one issue. The other is that, you know, reading a, an interesting 300 page book, kind of takes me a year lately because i'm more about output than input unfortunately but so i've just really been liking this book because they feel like character portraits that are refreshing for my brain and Mm -hmm. there's usually some cool little reveal sort of built into it and nothing ever happens it's just microfiction apparently is just character portraits but i really love them so anyway i'd recommend this book what we know so far Cool. That sounds, sounds really cool, actually. Yeah, sounds great. Cool, yeah. Are you oh. reading a printed copy? or a like printed a copy. Paper. Nice. I'll check you it know. out. Killing trees. So, Tim, where can we see your work, your new videos, your well, upcoming commercial? I just uh, made a short documentary that was actually featured on the, the front page of The Guardian. Oh, cool. And uh, it's called Through the Wall. And it's a five-minute piece that uh, I shot two cameras on either side of the border wall. And it's a family that meets there. It's the only way they can see each other. because The U.S.-Mexico border? Mm-hmm. And anyway, that's a recent thing I was excited about. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's yeah. incredible. Uh, and that's at timnakashi.com. We can find it. It is. About that. Yes, thank you. Awesome. Well, if you don't want to go to timnakashi.com, you can always go to justshootitpod.com, and we'll post the video there as well. Yeah, you're talking. But then you should go check out Tim's uh, site and reel because it's all really incredible. If you want to check out more about the show, though, you can follow us at Just Shoot It Pod on Twitter or me at Mr. Matt Enlow. And I am at Smitey Pileg. And also, drop us a line at the voicemail. We haven't had a voicemail in a while. I hmm. love voicemails. 2626-SHOOT-1. Operators are standing by. We will play your voicemail on the air. Do us a favor. Rate us on iTunes. That's how we keep the show going. And tell a friend about it, too, while you're at it. Hi, guys. The episode was edited by Eric Kerpo. Music was by Steve Combs. <laughs> thanks for having me. This was really fun. Hey, sure. thanks, thanks Tim. Tim. Hey, welcome to Just Shoot It, the podcast about filmmaking, storytelling, and directing. I'm Matt. Shoot, I, I know my own name, I swear. I think <clears> it's a podcast. Yep, the the only podcast about people talking. <clears throat> Hey, welcome to Just Shoot It. The, hey, welcome to Just Shoot It, a podcast about film. A, <laughs> God, I had it first. All right. Hey, welcome to Just Shoot It. A, hey, welcome to Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, storytelling, and directing. I'm Matt Enlow. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 